I would encourage you to open it up. We're on page 841 uh, in the Pew Bible today. So I encourage you to follow along as we look at this text together. We'd like to hear testimonies of, of God's grace and how He has been at work, how He saves people, how He grows people. And I trust that you are excited about what God's doing uh, in and amongst our church and, and even in and amongst in your own life and how God is at work. Well, this morning, as we look at Mark chapter 6, one of the things as we begin to learn this passage and what's going on, the message this morning is called Fishing with the Disciples. And, and this idea of being a disciple is a follower of Jesus, somebody who is a learner. As we understand, people who study education, uh, they will tell us that there are many kinds of learners, uh, that there are some people who learn very well visually. They can see something and just watch it, and they learn it by watching. Um, other learners are auditory learners. Uh, they hear something, and they just get it. They need to hear it, and they learn it that way. Uh, some learners, are they learn by, by the way that by writing or by reading. They can just absorb stuff that way. And then others would be called kinesthetic learners. That means hands-on, that learn by hands-on. And, and we recognize that we may have strength in a variety of ways, or there may be one of these primary learning ways, and uh, we certainly need to work to learn in whatever format that we're in. But as we look at this passage this morning, we're going to see that one of the ways Jesus taught was in a hands-on kind of a way. To having his people, not just as he taught with his words, but what he taught with his actions. And so what we're going to look at this morning and the learning that we're primarily going to do is from what Jesus did through what the disciples experienced and learned through that more than the things Jesus actually says. We're going to join the disciples as they are learning to become fishers of men. And we're going to see what is involved in the work of ministry. As they're serving alongside Jesus, what does it mean to be a fisher of men, to fish for people? We're going to see that God wants to open our eyes to the work of ministry, but also help us to understand that there's often a cost involved with ministry. Uh, but with that is also great satisfaction. And so before we look at our passage, let us pray together. Father, we thank you that you have brought us together this morning to open up the Word of God and to read it. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts. Lord, for those who know you, that they would be built up today. Lord, those who are struggling would be strengthened. Lord, those who are rejoicing would continue to be lifted high. Lord, those who are wrestling with seeking to really understand the gospel, to understand what this church thing is all about, I pray that you would help them to, to listen well, and I pray that you would help them to get a bigger picture of what you're seeking to accomplish in our lives. And so, God, I pray that you would guide our hearts and our spirits this morning, that your spirit would be at work opening our eyes to your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to read, it's in Mark chapter 6, verse 30, is where we're going to begin this morning. Mark chapter 6, verse 30, begins by saying this, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now, many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran ahead of them on foot from all the towns, and they got there before them. And when they went ashore, he saw the great crowd, and he had compassion on them. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came and said to him, 
this is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away and go into the, that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them to all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and, said, and, and gave a blessing and broke the loaves and gave it to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. And then this passage is primarily about Jesus feeding these 5,000 people. It's one more miracle in the account of, of Mark, of miracle after miracle after miracle, demonstrating to us that Jesus, while being fully man, is also fully God, that he can do these supernatural works. But we want to look this morning, and as we're, as we're fishing with the disciples, we want to learn about from the disciples, what do we learn about ministry? Well, verse 30 tells us that the disciples, the apostles, uh, those, the word apostles means the ones who are sent, okay? These are his 12 disciples. They return to Jesus. And we say, well, where do they return from? Well, let's back up a little bit to see. In chapter 6, verse 7, it says, And he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over unclean spirits. And now let's look on down in verse 12. So they go out, verse 12 says, And they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Right? So the disciples have been on this journey. Now our narrative is interrupted by a story about what happens with John the Baptist. And we get back here and they're back from the fishing trip. They've been fishing for people. And has their trip been successful? It has been. Many people responded to them. Many people. And so as they come away, they're, they're pretty excited about this. Other, uh, other scriptures would teach us that they came back. They're fired up about what had happened. And one of the first things I want us to see is we understand what it means to be fishing for people in this work of ministry is that the work of ministry is exciting. That the work of ministry is exciting when God uses you in his supernatural work. That's what God was doing with these disciples, that Jesus sent them out, gave them authority, and they did amazing things. They did things that were supernatural, that they could only have done, first of all, under God's power, and secondly, only if they went. They had to go to experience this. And so, as they go out, we realize this ministry is exciting. And, and I, know, I know a number of you have experienced that yourselves. You know, you have served in ministry. Maybe you're serving in a children's ministry or kids' ministry. You've taught a Sunday school class or working with pioneer kids. And as you're teaching, you see eyes light up. You see kids get it. And you're like, this is pretty cool, right? They're, they're God is using us to open their eyes, their hearts. Or maybe you've worked in a youth group and it's a couple decades later that you work in youth group and you run into a former student in the grocery store and they tell you, they said, you know what, I really am really thankful for the influence you had in my life a couple decades ago. 
It's this kind of stuff that's like, man, I'm thankful for that. Other things, as we see the ministry is exciting when we see people like, I mean, earlier this year, Rodney and Melody Tarter are on a helping hand call. And this helping hand call, they're meeting with this couple and this couple or this lady, as they finish up, they're praying and the lady's crying when they're done. And she said, I don't think I know the Lord. And they had an opportunity to talk with her about the gospel and she made a profession of faith. It's rejoicing, wonderful opportunity. We have stories in the church family of somebody just, just recently, daughter with cancer, struggling significantly, prayed, God, heal her. And God's healed her. God has used the, the, His power. He's used the power of doctors and medicine. He's done those things to heal. And when we see God at work, it's exciting. And to recognize the work of the ministry is exciting, and yet to be able to experience that excitement, what do we have to do? We have to go. Where we've been these last few weeks in our Sunday morning messages talking about the responsibility that we have to go, that we have to be involved in the lives of other people, to be speaking truth, to be loving others wisely with grace and truth. I mean, think about opportunities you have whenever you're made with a coworker. And I know some of you shared stories with me about how you're able to share biblical truth with them. And as you shared biblical truth, that they went home and applied it, and it made their family better. Ministry is exciting. And we realize that God's calling us to that. And I, I just want to invite you to just step into the work of ministry. If you're not already involved, I want to encourage you to think, how can I get involved? What would be some ways that I could, I, could, I could experience some of this excitement of ministry? And we would love to be able to help you to uh, find a place to serve well. But as we recognize this opportunity to serve, we realize that while fishing can be exciting, and, and frankly, just regular fishing is exciting when you're catching fish and things are going well, but it's not always exciting. As this narrative, just before this passage that we get here, we see that ministry, the work of ministry is not only exciting, but that it can be costly. In the context here, it costs John the Baptist, who was speaking the word of God, who was faithfully serving, it cost, literally cost him his head. It cost him his life. And what we realize is though while a ministry is exciting when the, God uses us for his supernatural work, we also recognize that ministry is costly. Real ministry can be costly. Why? Because it interferes with selfish loves. You see, the gospel ultimately is about love because the gospel is ultimately about God, who God is love, and his son Jesus Christ. And it's about love, but it's not only about the love of God, the gospel is also about our loves. Because as we would read the scriptures, we would find out that our primary love is what? Me. I love me. I, I was actually at an event recently, and I was asked to participate in this with some uh, students in the middle school, and they had a speaker, and and uh, most of it was really good. But there's part of this speech that this lady says, I want you to go home and look in the mirror and say, I love you. And then tell yourself, you are beautiful, you are intelligent, you are wonderful. And I'm listening to that and I'm thinking, that is not at all what these students need to hear. Because guess what? And this is not a, because there's a level that everybody's beautiful in the sense that God made them. But listen, and I, I, middle schoolers, I'm not picking on you, okay? But middle school is an awkward, awkward period of life. 
Most of you that are beyond middle school, you look back at those middle school pictures and you think, man, I was beautiful as a middle schooler, right? My kids, won't, my kids won't let us. We have family albums up. They don't want their like, middle school years in yearbooks. They don't want those out there. Why? Because I'm looking, I'm seeing what I see, right? And frankly, most of us, we look in the mirror and see what we see, and we say, well, I'm who I am. And, and, the, and the probably first quality that comes to mind is like, beautiful. That's not it frankly. But for most of us, what it should be is like, you know what? I've been created in the image of God. And I live in a fallen, broken world. And I may not look the way I want to look, but I know there's a God who loves me. And I know there's a God who's loved me in a really unique and a special way. And that's what makes me valuable. And we realize that. But, but, but we realize what does sin do? Sin twists us and distorts us so that we love us. And the gospel begins to interfere with our love because the gospel teaches us that there is something better, that something more worthy of your love than yourself. Something more worthy of your love than, than finances. More worthy of your love than being successful. More worthy of your love than having a thousand likes on, on Twitter. A thousand likes on Facebook and everybody loving your... There are things bigger than that. There's something more than just loving ourselves. And, and yet, whenever the gospel comes in, the gospel begins to confront us with our loves because it's confronting us with our sin. And whenever somebody begins to confront us about our sin, when somebody speaks to us about what we love, it's like the mama bear wanting to protect her cubs, Right? You start talking to somebody about sin and their need to repent and turn from it, that we need to recognize there may be a cost involved. Because as we say often, we do what we do because we want what we want, and we want what we want because we love what we love. And I love me, and Jesus is saying love him more than I love me, and we're telling others to do that, that can become costly. And we see in the context here, it became costly to John the Baptist. And he literally, he lost his life because of this. But as we begin to work through this passage, we see that ministry can be exciting, but ministry is also costly. But as we continue on, look what it says. It says in verse 31, And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. I mean, these disciples, they've been busy. They're go, 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 go. And Jesus recognizes it. And what does Jesus want to give them? He wants to give them a break. Let's get in the boat and let's go. Why is that? Because ministry isn't only exciting and costly. Ministry is also exhausting. Ministry is exhausting when you faithfully obey Jesus. These disciples were not exhausted because they were doing their own thing. They're doing exactly what God had called them to do. And ministry indeed can be exhausting. And ministry exhausting is exhausting because when we are engaging with others, what do we do? We give and we give and we give. And then what do we do? Give some more and give some more and give some more. But as we see, well, that's what ministry is. But that's what ministry is because, listen, that's what love is. You see, love is the choice to give of myself. So I'm giving of myself for the good of other people and the glory of God. And so if I'm going to love people, what does it mean I do? I give and I give and I give and I give. 
And that does certainly get exhausting. And it gets exhausting because we, we realize that oftentimes what that means is I'm prioritizing the desires and needs of others above my own. And just like Jesus recognizes these disciples need some time and he's going to seek to give that to them, but we don't see that it's being critical of the fact that the ministry, we should expect it to be easy. I mean, frankly, we live in a world that, or in a culture that I think oftentimes in our Christian culture we're so worried about burnout that we're unwilling to get exhausted. What I mean by that is we are willing to exhaust ourselves for things that we love. Okay? Those of you who have kids, okay, how many of you have been exhausted having kids? Right? Every one of us, right? Because it's hard, right? But why do you do it? Because you love them. Those of you who have, who have been to school, I mean, think about a family that decides, listen, um, mom or dad are going to go back to school. They've got a full-time job, and what are they going to do? They're going to go back to school. They're going to work late. They're going to study late and all that. They're going to exhaust themselves. Why? Because they're pursuing something that's valuable to them. Or a family's in a financial need, and they realize, we just got to make more money. We don't have enough coming in. And so what do they do? They get a second job. And they exhaust themselves. Why? We exhaust ourselves for things that we love. Somebody's desiring to build a bigger house, and maybe they're going to be the ones who build it. They work all day, come home, and they go swing a hammer all night making that house. Because why? They love it. They're willing to exhaust themselves for what's important to them. And I would encourage us in the work of ministry, we need to be willing to exhaust ourselves in the work of ministry. Here's why. Jesus does not call us to be fishers of men as a hobby. You see, I like to fly fish, right? I like to go fly fishing. Actually, my rod's broken right now, and I'm waiting on a new one. But, the, uh, but, but, but I like to go fishing. But you know what? I don't get to go as often as I want. Why? Because there are things more important than fly fishing. You see, it's a hobby. And, and geez, sometimes I think we think that the ministry that God calls us to, this being a fisher of men, being a fisher of people, the work of the ministry, I think we often see it, well, it's a hobby that I do. And if I have time for it, I'll do it. But as we open up the Word of God, we realize it is not a hobby. This is the calling God has placed on our lives. He tells us that we are to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Him. We don't, we don't, we're not, most of us aren't willing to die for our hobby. But Jesus is calling us to die to ourselves in the work of the ministry for Him. And we see this all over the place in the New Testament. There are words, listen, some of these, I won't list all these references. I can give them if you want them. But here are the, here are the words that are used when it talks about the ministry. He says in 1 Corinthians, strive to excel in the building up of the church. Strive for peace. Run the race that you may win. Run to obtain the prize. Discipline yourselves for godliness. Toil and struggle are the things that go on in our lives. We are called in the Scriptures to labor, to toil. Paul says he worked night and day in the work of ministry. He, we are called in 1 Timothy to train ourselves for godliness. That we're training, we're exercising, we're working, working out. In 2 Timothy, believers are described as soldiers and athletes and farmers. And what are soldiers, athletes and farmers? What do they have all, all have in common? They work hard. They work to the point of exhaustion. Why? Because they're running for a prize. 
They want to win a battle. They want to have a great harvest. And so we recognize that God is calling us to this work of ministry, not as a hobby, but as a calling on our lives. Do we have jobs? Yes. Do we have to put food on the table? Yes. Is there a lost world? Yes. Are there people who need to be loved wisely with grace and truth and spoken, spoken to by believers? Yes. Are there kids who need to be taught in Sunday school classes? Yes. Are there kids that are lost and nobody cares about them, but the people who are here on Wednesday nights recognize that the needs are real? And the opportunities for us and the calling that God has given to us is to call, is to go. And so as we recognize this, as work of ministry, it's exciting, but that excitement comes with a cost, and often that cost means I'm exhausted. What happens in our passage? So they're tired. They're going to go. Jesus says, let's get away, guys. And who's Jesus? He's God. He can orchestrate to make everything happen the way he wants. But what happens? Look at verse 32. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. And if I'm one of the disciples, I'm thinking, ah, yes. Finally, I can catch my breath. But what happens? Verse 33. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Now, just pause here. If I'm one of the disciples, here's what I'm thinking, all right? So Jesus says, listen, guys, I know you're tired. Let's take a break. Let's go to this desolate place. I know this place around the lake. Let's get in the boat. We'll go there. People won't be, won't be a problem for us. So they get there, but people see where they're going, and then they get there, and they land on shore, and what do they see on the shore? people everywhere. Now, if you're like me, you're thinking, are you kidding me? You know, all I want, I just want some peace and quiet. I just want a little time to rest. I mean, Jesus actually says he knows we're tired. We haven't even had time to eat. And if I'm one of the disciples, I'm thinking, because in the next verse it says, and he went ashore and he saw the great crowd. And if I'm disciples, I'm thinking, please, Jesus, tell them to go away. Please, Jesus, tell them to go away. Please, Jesus, tell them to go away. But I don't think the disciples even knew that, that was going to be an option for Jesus. As Jesus says, it says here, that as Jesus went ashore and he saw the great crowds, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. I think the disciples knew very well their work wasn't done. If Jesus saw these people, he knew, they knew what that was going to mean. It was going to mean more work. What I want us to see is this, is that the work of the ministry is exciting, it's costly, it's exhausting, and it's demanding. The work of ministry is demanding. When it's demanding, listen, it's demanding when we see others through the eyes of Jesus. Because it would have been very easy just to see a group of people, I'm tired, I see they have needs, I have needs, I'm going to go meet my needs. But how does Jesus see them? Jesus sees them as sheep without a shepherd. If we would think about this in the context of, of, if we would think about this in the context of fishing for men, it's like Jesus sees these people, they're in this pond of water because they're fish, they go fishing, and in this pond, all these fish, it's, it's, a polluted, it's a polluted pond. It's a polluted pond with lost fish. And not only that, they're 
piranha in this polluted pool. So it's a polluted pool of piranha, right? And why does Jesus look at it? And he's like, this isn't good for these people. This isn't good. They need help. And he's willing to do what? It goes on and it says that he saw them as sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. But the exhaustion and the ministry and all that, and yet there are more demands. And the more demands, what did Jesus do? He sought to meet these demands. He sought to meet them. And as we recognize that our needs in the midst of this, listen, it's easy for us to be recognizing that people are demanding. And loving people is costly. And and there's a recognition that there is a proper place for boundaries and saying, listen, I'm not going to answer the phone, I'm not going to deal with it. There's a place for that. Frankly, I think most of us have gone to the other extreme in this pendulum. The rather needing to do that, I don't want to be bothered by anybody, and I'm only going to be bothered when I want to be bothered by them. Rather than opening up our lives and being willing to invest in others, whatever their need. And again, we need, there's wisdom in how we do some of those things, but again, we realize that in the midst of this, Jesus knows his disciples are tired. And what do they do? They go back to work. They go back to work, and they're going to stick with this. And they stick with it in verse 35. It says, when it had grown late. So, I mean, the disciples were already exhausted. We show up. There are all these people. It's demanding. And now what do they do? They're busy all day. And now it's late. And so what do the disciples do? I think wisely, they say, this is a desolate place, like a wilderness place. And the hour is now late. Send them away to go to the surrounding countryside and the villages to buy and buy something, uh, buy themselves something to eat. So they realize it's late, it's dinner time, we're hungry, they're hungry, we need to make sure they get something to eat. We don't have enough food. Jesus, send them out to go into the hillsides and find food in the villages. Right? What's Jesus do? Verse 37. But he answered, You give them something to eat. I'm just amazed at how Jesus is continuing to push the disciples. You guys give them something to eat. Like, Jesus, why? we don't have that. What do you mean give them something to eat? And they actually reply to that. Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it them to eat? And they're recognizing, listen, there's only two ways we can feed these people. We've got to send them home, or we've got to, 200 denarii is about eight months' wages of a person. So it's a bunch of money. So the only way we can feed all these people or send them home or call Jimmy John's and have it delivered for all of them or something, and that's the only way. We don't have money for all that, right? And so we recognize, that's, we, Jesus, what do we do? And so watch Jesus say, and he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. Now, I think the disciples would have gone, all right, here we go. Do you, now, 5,000 men, that means with you had some women and children here, they're Possibly 15,000, 20,000 people here. How long does it take to find out how much bread and fish there are amongst that group? Takes a while, right? They're already tired. And so they come back, and how much are there? There are two fish and five loaves of bread, which tells us, were these people planning to stay all day? No, right? They weren't planning to stay all day. Jesus was teaching. They stuck around all day. But so they come back, and they said to them, we have five and two fish. And in the disciples' minds, I'm thinking the disciples are thinking, okay, Jesus, can we send them away now? All right, can we, can we go now? Is this, are we, let's go. What's happening next? And what does Jesus say to them? 
he says in verse 39, he commanded them to sit down in the groups on the green grass. And again, I think the disciples here are like, guess we're not done, right? It's interesting too, he tells them to sit down on the green grass. This is an interesting feature here because this place, it's called a desolate place. This is a word that's used of the wilderness in the Old Testament, where the, where the uh, Israelites wandered for 40 years. It's the same word, a desolate place, a place where there's not a lot of um, abundance. But it says here, he had them sit down on the green grass. So in this desolate place, there's green grass, green, red, demonstrating vegetation and food. Jude read earlier, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What does he do next? Yeah, the green pastures, right? Who's Jesus? Good shepherd. Where does he have these people? On a green pasture. What do we think he's going to do? Well, what's a good shepherd do with sheep on a green pasture? He feeds them. Well, what does Jesus do? Then he commanded them to all sit down in groups on the green grass. Verse 40. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up and he blessed and he broke the loaves and gave it. Listen, he gave it to the disciples to set before the people. And they all took and were satisfied. So Jesus has the bread. He breaks it. The disciples are coming and he gives it to them and he gives it to them. And he gives it to them, and they keep coming back, and they keep giving it, and they've got two fish, five loaves of bread, and they feed 5,000 men, probably the other people as well, so upwards of 15, 20,000 people. Did that take a while? That would have taken a while. But Jesus is multiplying, and what Jesus gives to the disciples, they then give to the people, which is what Jesus says earlier, right? He said, you give them something to eat. What are they doing? giving them something to eat. What are they giving them to eat? What Jesus has given to them. And what I want us to see in this, as we think about ministry, it is certainly exciting, it's costly, it's exhausting, it's demanding, but we also see that the work of ministry is instructive. It's instructive when we trust Jesus and we watch Him work. We learn things about Jesus. They're learning that He's the Good Shepherd. He cares for their sheep. He is feeding these people. He cares. He is a God who is able to meet these needs as well. So they're learning about His identity. And so they're learning lots about Jesus through this. But we also see then, as we see, that the people all ate and were satisfied. So... Does that mean like when we do the Lord's Supper, they got that little piece of bread? Nope, they got a lot more than that, right? Their stomachs were full. I, I mean, my picture when this is all done, every, they're sitting on the hillsides and they're just kind of leaning back and they're like, man, this is wonderful. We've been fed by Jesus all day and now we've been fed this food by him. Amazing. Full stomachs, it says they're satisfied. In verse 43 it says, and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and fish. And they, those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. So, how many baskets did they take up? 12. Why 12? 12 disciples. So, what's going on here? Now, let's think, where did this all start? They got back, exciting time, right? Recognize it's costly, but they're exhausted, right? They're exhausted. They want to get in the boat, get away, 
Then the people all get their demands continue. They're wiped out. They're exhausted. And yet, what do they do? They continue to serve. They continue to serve. When they're all done serving, what do each one of them have? A basket full of food. What did they have before? I, yeah, we don't know what they had, but they didn't have those, 12, those baskets, right? And because they have faithfully served Jesus, Jesus is now serving them. Jesus provides for them. And what, this is the point, this is a really significant point that we need to see, that the work of ministry, yes, it's costly, yes, it's exhausting, yes, it's demanding, but it is also satisfying. It's satisfying when we realize that Jesus is serving us when we serve others. And those of you who have faithfully served others, you've experienced this. I think of our Wednesday night ministry workers. Most of them have jobs. They work all day. They show up. They're tired. And what does God do? He strengthens them, strengthens, strengthens them for the ministry. And almost always they walk away thinking, really glad I came. It was really hard before because I was tired and all that. But what did Jesus do? Jesus worked through me tonight. And when we give of ourselves, we aren't able to experience this unless we give of ourselves. And listen, Jesus doesn't put our growth on hold when we're serving others. You understand that? Jesus doesn't put our growth on hold when we serve others. Sometimes we think, well, I need to be growing. I need to be working on, on learning and some stuff before I really start to serve. My charge to you is, no, jump in and serve, and you're going to learn plenty. I, I mean, listen, I would love, here's I'll, a challenge to you. How many of you, no, I won't ask that question that way. Here's the question. Um, I'm trying to do this without setting you up, but I'm going to set you up, so just go with it. So here's the idea. How many of you think you could teach a Sunday school class? There'd be several, I think I could teach a Sunday school class. How many of you would be like, man, I'm, I'm not sure I could teach a Sunday school class? Okay, I'm talking to you right now, those. I'm thinking, I bet you probably can't either right now. You know what one of the best things you could do to, for your own spiritual growth is teach a Sunday school class. Teach a junior high Sunday school class. Guess what that forces you to do? Start studying the Word of God. You've got to learn the Word of God, and I'm learning the Word of God. And you know, Guess how well you have to know it? Well enough to talk to some junior high students who are going to ask you questions about it. You think, but man, I feel way inadequate of that. And I think, praise God, that's exactly where I want you to feel. Because whenever you get involved in a ministry, you realize as you're serving others, Jesus serves you. And you grow. And you grow, and you have opportunities to learn. You think, well, I, you know, sharing the gospel with other people, that terrifies me. It terrifies everybody. But guess what? When we start doing it, we're terrified. We go. We've done it. God serves us in the midst of it. You see, this, this God of this Bible loves us so much that he wants to push us out of our comfort zone because he wants to grow us. He wants us to serve him. I, I believe he wants to serve uh, him to the point of exhaustion and then more demanding people knocking at your door so you learn to trust his strength and rely on him and say, Lord, I don't know how I can go on. And I think the Lord says, oh, yeah, you do. You've got to trust me. I'm like, oh, yeah. It's what God desires of us. And I want to, let, listen, big idea this morning is God's call for us to be fishers of men, to be fishing for people. It's not a hobby. It's a calling. And the opportunities that we have to serve in the church, to serve others, to serve our community, they're almost countless. 
they're, they're probably more than we could dream up. But what we, re- but recognize, what we need to recognize is that Jesus wants to use us for his purposes. And we think, well, I'm already too busy. I'm already pretty tired. You know what? So is everybody else. I mean, I'll say this. For all of those who are consistently working in the church regularly, when they hear somebody else say, I'm too busy to get involved, you know what their response would be? And you think, I don't have anything else to do? I'm already working 50 hours a week. Working 50 hours a week, and I'm driving a van. I'm teaching a Sunday school class. I'm, I'm, I'm showing up on work days. I'm helping do some cleaning. I'm doing all this. What do you mean you're too busy? Listen, I, I'm not, I don't intend to beat you up with this. But what I want us to do is to call us to recognize God's calling us to serve him and to serve him and to remove the excuses and to realize if God's going to use us as individuals and us as a church to impact our community, to impact our world, he wants us to become fishers of men. Fishers of men who are engaged in a ministry that is exciting, that is costly, that is exhausting, that is demanding, that is instructive, but it's also satisfying. And I know that there are many of you today that would say, Amen to that. It is satisfying when we give of ourselves for the good of others and the glory of God. And so I encourage you this morning to spend some time examining yourself and thinking, am I committed to following Jesus, to being a fisher of man? And again, for those who are significantly engaged in ministry, I want to thank you. Your, your, your life is commendable. And so I don't want everyone to hear you're getting all beat up today. Some of you probably need to hear it, but many of you, praise the Lord. You know, I'm grateful. God wants to grow us as a church and doing this together, and that we grow us up, grow us together, and send us out to work hard in a lost world. Well, I'm going to pray, and then after we pray, we're going to receive our morning offering. But at the, during the offering time, I would just encourage you to, to maybe spend some time just reviewing the notes this morning and thinking about what are some of these things that maybe I need to take and apply that are going to help me in my life think about what is it like to not just have a hobby of following Jesus, but to following him as a calling in my life. So for ushers will come, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the calling that you've given to us. You have called us to come and follow you. And Lord, we know in the scriptures that following you can be costly. Lord, you tell us, you call us to that we are called to deny ourselves. And God, I pray that you would help us to love. And you want to equip us. You want to empower us. You want us to experience the excitement and the satisfaction of ministry. And Lord, that we can only do that as we step beyond our comfort zone and to give ourselves to faithfully serving you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.